Welcome to the City Alliance Church Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our messages. Our prayer is that you would listen, learn, and be inspired to love God, love others, and serve the world. Subscribe and share these messages to bless others. Here's this week's message. I'm excited to share with you that we're in a new series kicking off today called Voices, where we're going to hear some other voices, folks from our church, kind of speak into us, because we need multiple people to speak into us, to kind of grow in our faith, and to challenge us in life. And uh, when we, uh, my wife and I, were in the process of moving to Williamsport, uh, we were living in New Jersey, driving, you know, three hours here, three hours back. Uh, we had dinner with a couple different couples, and one of those couples was Kyle Hunter and his wife, Martha. And when I met Kyle and had conversations with him and got to know him, I was just like, man, this guy is a guy of wisdom. And he has so much to offer, and, and I, I always leave our conversations growing more and more. And, uh, you know, if, if there's a biblical character that I would say, man, Kyle's a lot like this guy, it's Caleb. Y'all remember Caleb? Uh, Caleb was with Joshua with the spies. He's like, let's go and take the land. And the other spies were like, no, we're good. But, you know, Caleb and Joshua were like, no, let's go. Fast forward another 40, 50 years, Caleb is probably in his 80s. I'm not saying that you're in your 80s, Kyle. But you know what? If you were, this is what you'd say. Because Joshua's like, all right, Caleb, you can get the hill Just so you know, all the crazies are still in the hill country. Like, you got to go, like, drive them out. And Caleb's like, let's go get them, rah! And that's Kyle. Kyle is fearless. He is not afraid to continue to take ground for God's kingdom and um, I know he's a great encouragement to our elders. He's a great encouragement to many of you, to his city group. And so can we make some noise? A city alliance welcome to Kyle Hunter. Well, thank you for those kind words, Nathan. Um, some of them were true. Um, I just want to kind of do a little uh, credit due thing here at the beginning. Um, our city group has been uh, working through the book of Ephesians, and we've been using um, a video series that's been uh, put out by Right Now Media and done by J.D. Greer. And uh, there are a couple of stories I'm going to borrow from there. I'll indicate when that happens. Um, but also the city group discussion and the series have influenced my thinking as I've prepped for this message. And so. I want to give credit where credit's due, but I also want to give blame where blame's due. So you can kind of take from that uh, what you want. Um, the message this morning is about uh, transformation or metamorphosis. And, uh, you know, we see transformation a lot of different places. Um, sometimes we see it and we don't understand why it's occurred. And uh, other times we have a pretty good idea of what caused the change. Sometimes we may see someone who we know well and we haven't seen them for a while and then we see them and they've lost a bunch of weight and they look really good and we want to know like, well, what did you do, right? We want to know how that transformation occurred. Um, other transformations that are, that are occurring all around us, um, we kind of know about, but we can't really appreciate till they take effect. On Friday, my youngest son and his wife had a transformation because we now have a third granddaughter. And um, already, just a couple days in, their, their sleep schedule's transformed. 
Um, and I think, um, you know, there'll be some challenges, but when it's all said and done, it'll be something great that they're changed to. And we have other couples uh, expecting, uh, ready to have children soon. Um, and I know that uh, they'll experience that transformation. One of the things that I really think is cool about nature is how things are transformed in nature. And I really couldn't think of a better example of transformation in nature than what happens when um, a chrysalis of a monarch butterfly becomes an adult butterfly. And so we have a video clip of that that we're going to take a look at, I hope. And so you see this caterpillar, it's kind of attached here to the ceiling and doing a lot of vibrating. Apparently that's important. Um, but eventually this green slime sort of forms over the caterpillar and then a lot more shaking. And then eventually it's spun tight and uh, we have the chrysalis. And it's just kind of sitting there as a green glob for a little while. But then you'll notice the color starts to change. And at one point, it almost kind of looks like a leaf that's dead or a hunk of dirt or something until colors start to emerge through the membrane. And then there's a little more wiggling there, right? <laughs> and eventually, the wings are going to break free. And what looked kind of like a dead thing is now very much alive and very beautiful. Every time I see something like that, I think, man, that's really cool. It speaks to what God uh, has in store for us. He wants to transform us as well. And uh, these changes that we see in nature um, are also indicative of the change that God wants to see in us spiritually. He wants to see us transformed. I don't know if you guys think about this a lot. It's a little bit of a downer, but, you know, our world is in pretty rough shape. Would you agree with me about that? Like, I, I, I think we live in a world that really needs Christ. When I was in college, which a couple years ago, um, I had a professor, uh, I, I took a course at Millersville University, it's the only course I ever took there, uh, but it was on uh, Hitler and Nazism. And I really took it because the professor was a German Jew, and uh, he had escaped uh, Nazi Germany at the beginning of the war as a child. But as he taught this course, he explained to us that what happened um, during World War II with the Holocaust was actually the result of things that had been going on for years. That there really was a moral bankruptcy in Europe leading up to the Holocaust. And, uh, you know, people uh, were hateful and selfish, and a lot of that was directed towards Jews for years before this. And so at the end of the course, um, we were asked to write a response to this question. Did we think that the Holocaust or some tragedy like that could ever happen again? And uh, I think I was a junior in college, and my answer was, yeah, I think it can happen again. I think it's still happening. I mean, I still see moral bankruptcy. I still see people hating other people and people being uh, sinful and people really um, just demonstrating that man wants to be inhumane to man. I still saw that. And so I concluded that, yeah, I think it's going to continue. And then if we fast forward to today, and I actually did this, um, I googled current ethnic cleansing. That's the exact wording that I used. 
current ethnic cleansing, hoping that I wouldn't get a hit, right? But I did. And what I got was that the Uyghur people that live in China are being, um, there's genocide being conducted on them by the Chinese government. They're a minority uh, religious group and the government wants to get rid of them. And so there's evidence in our world that we need a spiritual transformation. We need to be changed from death to life spiritually. And I think the conclusion uh, that we need to draw is that death is the condition of man. Death is the condition of man. And so in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, that's really explained to us. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So just look at that scripture for a minute. Um, We're dead, and the evidence of our death spiritually is that we sin and transgress or do uh, trespasses against God. And we're like the rest of the world. We're under the control and the influence of Satan and his system. And because of that, we act on our own cravings and our own fleshly desires. And like everybody else, we deserve God's wrath. That's what we deserve. To be spiritually dead, in a sense, means to be separated from God. You know, think about it this way. If you had some cut flowers in a vase... They might look alive, right? But they've been cut off from their source. And it's just a matter of time until you see the evidence of their death. And if we're apart from Christ, God says we're spiritually dead. We're cut off from our spiritual life in God. The evidence of this being cut off is what this set of verses says, uh, our transgressions, our trespasses, and our sins. I think we all know what it, what it means to trespass, right? Um, I would guess, I'm not going to. I'm going to say, if you raise your hand, tell me if you've ever done it. But most of us have probably trespassed onto somebody else's property. In a spiritual sense, what this means is that God has a path for us that he wants us to follow. But we've deviated from that path and decided to go our own way. You know, maybe that's um, your decision to gossip. That could be a trespass. Or maybe um, your decision to lust or to steal from your employer. They won't notice this item if I take it. All of these things are decisions that we make to trespass against God. And then also we commit sins. And the word for sin that we have here is the Greek word harmatia. And it's actually like an archery term. And what it means is that we miss the mark. You see, an archer could hit the target, but if they don't hit the bullseye, they sinned. And you might say, you know, I do a lot of good stuff. Matter of fact, the other day I helped an old lady across the street. And I was at a park at a four-way stop sign. And I was there first, but I let another person go in front of me. I'm really a good guy. I think God's probably impressed with me. Can I tell you he's not? You see, when it comes to being holy, 
God's cornered the market. And our best attempts at righteousness in Scripture are defined as filthy rags. Our best attempts. God's holiness is so much above ours. I think sometimes we believe a myth. And the myth is that spiritually, if we do enough good works and we do enough good thinking, and that is in a little bit heavier or weightier than our bad works or our bad thinking, that God will look at what's balancing out. And if our good stuff outweighs our bad stuff, we're in. I mean, I would venture to guess if you went up on the street to somebody and asked them, why do you think you're going to get into heaven? They would probably say something like that. I'm a pretty good guy, and I do good stuff. And I think when God looks at me, he's going to think I'm righteous because I've got more stuff on the good side. Can I tell you that's not how God's economy works? If you've trespassed against God, you've sinned. If you've sinned, you're a sinner. And the just desserts for people that sin are separation from God in hell. That's what we deserve. You see, there aren't different classes of people in God's mind. You know, some that are a little bit evil but do some good, others that are completely evil, and some that are pretty good and get to go to heaven. God doesn't see us that way. He sees one class of people, rebellious sinners that have chosen to ignore his ways and are dead in their trespasses and sins. I wish you guys could be up here because your faces kind of say what I thought you were going to be doing. You're probably thinking like, what is up with this sermon? I mean, this is uh, pretty heavy stuff. I don't come on Sunday morning to hear stuff like that. I come here to hear something positive. I want something that's going to lift me up for my week. And I'm hearing all this stuff about sin. I just want to say this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is really good news. But we can't understand how good of news that is until we understand the bad news of our sin. And so we need to talk about that. We need to understand what our situation is before God. And we also need to understand that we can't change our situation. What we need is God to make us alive because we can't do that on our own. Take a look with me at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. It said, be, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God's the one who's in the business of transforming us. Um, Back when my kids were little, I used to watch with them, I kind of enjoyed it, to be honest with you, um, a TV show on Sunday morning called Schoolhouse Rock. How many of you know about Schoolhouse Rock? Okay. Um, there's an episode in Schoolhouse Rock entitled Conjunction Junction. And um, 
it's all about uh, how conjunctions like the word and, or, and but connect words or phrases together and sometimes big thoughts or big ideas. And uh, let me just test something here, okay? Um, this is painful. I'm going to sing just a real short, okay? <laughs> and um, I'd like you to put the next word in when I point to you, okay? So here we go. Conjunction, junction, what's your? You guys know it, okay? So you kind of know a little bit about that function, right? Like the word but is supposed to contrast two different ideas. I would say that this conjunction that's in verse 4 is probably the most important conjunction in all of Scripture. Because here, here's how it goes. All of this stuff's true about us. We're sinners, but God did this. All that negative stuff we talked about that is the result of sin, that's part of our lives. But God did this. And we learned that what God did is he provided us with a lot of things. And it's based on his love for us. That's the basis on which God did these things. You know, God loves us sacrificially. Jesus gave up his home in heaven to provide us with salvation. And God the Father gave up his son that we could have salvation. God's love was always for our benefit. And God's love is what motivated him to provide us with mercy and make us spiritually alive. God took pity on us. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. A couple of weeks ago, I was in the grocery store. Once in a while, Martha lets me do that. And I was shopping, and um, an elderly lady came up to me who was a little short. And she said, can I get your help? There's something on that shelf up top that I can't reach. Well, immediately, I felt pretty good about myself. I mean, how many times in my life has somebody said, hey, you're tall, help me? <clears throat> Not very often. But you know what? I reached out for her because I could sympathize with her. And I was able to do for her what she couldn't do for herself. And that's what Jesus did for us through his death on the cross. His grace was poured out. That's his unmerited favor that comes in our direction. And our salvation is wholly the work of God. That's why we can't brag about it. God's grace works in our lives and it gives us a position in Christ. We read that in those verses. I think that means this. When God looks at me, he doesn't see my past sin. He doesn't see my present sin. He sees the perfect life of Jesus Christ, and he accepts me because of that. That's why I'm accepted. That's why I have that position, and that's the work of God's grace. And God's grace continues to provide for me and for you if you'll have Christ as your Savior. Through all of eternity, we're going to be the beneficiaries of incomparable riches in Christ Jesus because of God's grace. But how does this spiritual life become ours? And in essence, how do we get rid of our sin? How do we get rid of our deadness and become alive in Christ? Well, verse 8 has the answer. It says, it is by faith that we are saved. 
right? It's by grace, but it's through faith. God's provided everything we need in Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24 says he, Christ, bore our sin in his body on the tree. That's what Jesus did. What we need to do is believe and trust in that. In previous messages that Nathan's preached, you may recall that there's often times where he gives opportunity for people to pray a prayer to become Christians. And in fact, you're going to have an opportunity later today to do that yourself. And the prayer is essentially a response to the gospel. There isn't really a certain phrase that you need to use or some incarnation or formula that you need to give in order to become a Christian. But I do think you need to understand three key things. And we're going to call these the uh, ABCs of the gospel. And A would be, you must admit that you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge that you have trespassed, that you are um, possessing a sinful nature that's against God, and you need salvation. The second thing is you need to believe in Jesus. And that belief needs to kind of center around the fact that what Christ did when he died on the cross paid for your sin, and it was complete and sufficient. That's what we need to believe. And then the C, the following, the follow-up to that, is that we need to commit to following him. When we ask Christ to be our Savior, we're not just saying a bunch of words that we hope stick like a formula. What we're doing is committing our lives to him. And so he wants us to continue to walk with him. When the gospel is believed and accepted, we become spiritually alive. But here's the really cool thing. We, not just become spirit, we don't just become spiritually alive. We become masterpieces of God. Let me read Ephesians 2.10, um, which helps to explain how we are God's masterpieces. For we are God's handiwork created in, in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This Greek word that we translate I mean, here's uh, translated handiwork. Uh, Some of your Bibles may say something a little different. It's the Greek word poema that is translated there, which sounds a lot like poem, right? It probably sounds like poem because that's where we get our English word poem from. And a poem is um, a literary work of art, right? Like when I think about artwork, I usually think of a painting or a sculpture or something tangible. And that's what God thinks of us who know him as his savior. He he thinks of us as his piece of art, his masterpiece. Now, there are some things that are true about masterpieces that I think um, are worth mentioning. And uh, one of those things is that a masterpiece has the fingerprints of the master on it. When there's some debate about whether a painting is the work of a master, They call in the experts, and they look at the brush strokes, right? And they can tell from the brush strokes whether that really is uh, the master painter's creation. I think God's brush strokes and imprint should be on us. Let me just give you one quick example of that. We all know that God is love. We know that's what motivated him to provide us with salvation. He shows his love in a lot of different ways to us. But that's also supposed to be the defining characteristic of Christians, 
They should know that we're Christians because of how we love each other. That's what scripture says. We should have God written all over us. Masterpieces are also unique and have value. You know, an artist doesn't make 50 copies by hand of the same painting. A masterpiece is valuable because in part it's unique and that uniqueness helps to give it value. When God looks at you and I as his masterpieces, we are unique. And in his opinion, we have value. Sometimes we doubt that. We might doubt that for ourselves or somebody else might tell us, you know, you're not really worth much. I don't really care what people say. Because I know what God says. God says I'm his masterpiece. And if God says I'm his masterpiece, nothing else that anybody else says really matters. You know, I was thinking uh, the last couple of months about this idea a lot. Um, Two months ago, we went to a youth retreat. And the speaker talked about how much God loves us and how valuable we are in God's sight. And, you know, we know that because Jesus died for us and provided us with salvation. But she said this that really made me stop and think. Not only is all of that true, but the God of the universe thinks I'm so valuable that he wants to spend time with me. The God of the universe wants to spend time with me. He wants to speak to me in prayer. He wants me to learn from his word. He wants me to have sweet times of communion with him. I must be valuable because that's how God feels about me. A masterpiece also benefits many other people. You know, artwork isn't created ideally to be put in some rich person's house for no one to see. It's designed for other people to look at and benefit from. And when God passes us from death to life, he gives us spiritual gifts that we can use to help other people. That's part of the masterpiece that he's created. He gives us a purpose for living, and he gives us a way to live that out. And the way to live that out is by doing good works. You know, I've been a Christian for a while, and I've been around churches for a long time, and it it seems that people are very zealous uh, to talk about salvation being by faith and not by good works, and that's correct. But it's almost to the point sometimes, I think, that those two words in the phrase good works, we begin to think of them as dirty words. Like we shouldn't talk about good works. Let me tell you that God not only applauds our good works, he expects them. And they are to be not just like ancillary, off to the side things, our good works, are supposed to be the automatic expression of our appreciation of God's grace in our lives. They're to go along with what he's done for us. They're to complement that. I know there's a lot of good works that God wants us to accomplish. He wants us to bear fruit, spiritual fruit, have the fruit of the Spirit, He wants us to love one another. But he's commanded one area of good works very specifically. And that area is to make disciples. A disciple 
is a wholehearted follower of Christ. That's what our definition is for disciple. And before Christ went into heaven, he told his current followers that they were to make disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all over the world. And we call that command that God's given us the Great Commission. Here at City Alliance Church, we're trying to develop a spiritual formation pathway to help actualize that goal. We have a slide that shows the pathway here. Um, You'll notice that it's kind of circular with the arrows pointing you to go around the circle. And we have two groups at the beginning at the top, the spiritually uninterested and the spiritually curious. And a lot of those people are not in our church this morning. Some of them may be, um, but they're definitely in our community. And it's important for our church to care about them because this church is for them too. And so as we move around the pathway, the next line that you see there is the faith line. This is where a person passes from death to life. And it's awesome when we see that happening in our church. But when that person becomes a new believer then, they need to be discipled. They need to be taught how to be a a complete follower of Christ. And a part of that process then will lead them to the next step, which is to be a disciple maker. So that's our pathway. I mean, it's really just a diagram, but it helps us to understand uh, kind of what the different junctures are in our faith walk. And at uh, each of the junctures that uh, are past the faith line, I believe that God has good works for us to do. And that these are good works that he has prepared for us in advance. So our pathway that we're trying to develop um, has different, um, we're going to call them environments, different environments that are intended to help people become more like Christ. And also they're intended to allow people that are walking the spiritual formation pathway to then pour into other people's lives. So it's kind of a two-part idea. We want people to grow, but we also want people to help other people grow. That's the purpose of the pathway. And that's why we have these different um, environments, we're calling them, to the pathway. Let me give you some examples of things that would be included uh, as environments in the pathway. Serving in city kids, half of you do that. Joining a city group. Hosting a city group. Getting baptized attending a prayer time, joining a greeting team, learning more about how you can share your faith story, learning more about how you can develop a rule of life uh, and priorities for life. Those last two things are part of our partnership class. This, This isn't a done deal. Like, this is in process. This is stuff we're working on. But we need to continue to move forward. And I want to encourage each of you to think about what your next step might be in order to be able to grow in the path of spiritual formation. And maybe you're thinking, well, I don't really know what my spiritual gifts are. Well, let me encourage you, go get active. Find out the things that are your abilities and your passions and go start doing them. And God will uncover for you what the good works are that he's planned for you. 
you ever think about this? It's really hard to guide a ship if it's sitting still in the harbor. But if it's moving, it can be guided different places. And so if you get out and move and take steps towards God, I think he will show you what those good works are that he has prepared for you. We need to trust him to lead us to the good works that he's prepared for us. This is how God's going to help us fulfill the Great Commission as a church. I just one more illustration uh, before we wrap things up. And that this does come from J.D. Greer. It's, it's awesome. I wanted to share it. Um, he said, let's compare uh, the church and the Christian life to a football game. And think about what happens in a football game, right? The uh, quarterback calls all the offensive players together, and he explains this play to them. So imagine that that's happening, and once the play is called, all the offensive players are like, oh, that's great, this is awesome, and they high-five each other, and then they go over and sit down on the bench. And then they sit there for a little while, and then they get back up, let's say it's the next week, and they get back up, and the quarterback calls another play, and they say, oh, that's awesome, great job, and they high-five each other, and they go sit back down on the bench. Today, I'm the uh, backup quarterback. Get it? Right? Nathan's first string. It's pretty apparent. Um, But isn't that what we do sometimes? Like, oh, awesome message, great. God wants us to move out. He wants us to actually get in the game. And I think he wants us to be masterpieces, poemas for him, but we're sometimes just wallflowers. And we need to get out and move out and get more active for God so that the planned good works he has for us can be carried out. God wants us to respond. And this morning, I think there could be several ways that God wants you to respond. If you're here this morning and you're still dead in your sin because you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, the most appropriate response that you could make this morning is to invite him in. And I'm going to ask you to take a next step in a few minutes, and it's a literal step. If you need to know Christ as your Savior, would you have the courage to step out of your seat physically and come forward and have somebody pray with you to receive Jesus as your Savior? This could be your day to pass from death to life. And if you're online and you need help with that, we can get you help. Another response that might be appropriate, and I would sense that a lot of us are here, is you may be a believer, and you may have just listened to this passage, and maybe your first thought is, yeah, I've heard that before. Yes, you have. And for Christians to rehearse the gospel is critical. And so your next step today as we sing this song may be to just put your full focus on what Jesus has saved you from, what that means for you personally, and spend that whole time that we're singing focused on him, giving him praise, honor, and glory. I think that's an appropriate step. For others of you, maybe you're a believer, and you know, you know Christ is your Savior, but if you're honest, you'd have to say you're just cruising through your Christianity right now. Let me encourage you to make steps on the spiritual pathway, to become more spiritually formed, to not sit by as a wallflower, 
you can come forward and someone will pray or talk to you about what the next step for you might be, or you can talk to me or Nathan or any of the elders or leaders in the church, and we'll try to help you move forward so that God can guide you into the next steps that he has for you. God is in the business of creating a metamorphosis in us. He's changing us from spiritually dead to living masterpieces. And I think the question this morning is, are you ready to live out that change? Thank you so much for joining us. We pray that today's message encouraged and inspired you. If you live in the Williamsport region of PA, we'd love to engage you in person. You can find more information on service times, city groups, and our incredible kids and youth ministry at citylions.org. That's citylions.org.